Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, the political side of COVID-19, the state health department on COVID's impact in rural Minnesota, and youth baseball tries to get the ball rolling on league play for the summer. But first... I can breathe! Being black in America should not be a death sentence. For five minutes, we watched as a white officer pressed his knee to the neck of a black man. For five minutes. On Memorial Day, Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin kneeled down on George Floyd's neck until it appears Floyd loses consciousness. Video of the killing went viral, and by Tuesday night, thousands of people took to the streets of South Minneapolis to protest. Demonstrators carried signs that read, I can't breathe, Black Lives Matter, and KKK cops as they marched to the Minneapolis PD's 3rd Precinct. All four officers involved in the incident were swiftly fired, but many wanted to see more done more quickly, including Minneapolis Mayor Jacob Fry. I've wrestled with more than anything else over the last 36 hours one fundamental question. Why is the man who killed George Floyd not in jail. On Wednesday, Fry called on the Hennepin County attorney to file charges immediately against the officer involved in Floyd's death. If you had done it, or I had done it, we would be behind bars right now. The killing of George Floyd happened in Congresswoman Ilhan Omar's district on Wednesday afternoon. She said she understood that the community was hurting. You know, watching that video was sickening, and, uh, and I realized that we find ourselves in this place back, you know, every every few months, if, if not every uh, other week. And for particularly in Minneapolis, you know, the black community really reckons with what, what this means every time this happens. Representative Omar said the loss felt by community members over George Floyd's death was felt throughout the nation. I know that this is really a painful time. Um, we are doing everything that we can to work to make sure that there is justice, that there is reform and action that comes out of this tragedy. Then on Wednesday evening, thousands took to the streets, Lake Street specifically, and began looting, first a Target store, then Cub Foods, and then things escalated from there. George! 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 In a word, it became chaos. But the evening had started with a peaceful protest near where Floyd was killed. This protester said he was fed up with the perception of him. I'm from the hood. I'm strong. I'm black. I'm intelligent. That means I'm a threat. Come on, man. As soon as I walk into the room. Oh, I got earrings. I got tattoos. I'm a thug. Delina from North Minneapolis was at the protest and said, It would only be right to encourage our our city members, the citizens, to bear arms because we are being attacked by the people that are supposed to protect us. Kent from North Minneapolis agreed and said he was protesting because It's like we're going back in the 1930s and 40s, you know. They're killing us one by one, week by week, and we're watching this on the news. And even if it's here, whether it's at home, around the world, it's too much. On Thursday morning, shop owners on Lake Street were picking up the pieces literally. 
store alarms were still going off throughout the morning. Bao Enyan owns Daisy Nails, which was trashed in the looting. He saw the destruction unfold in real time from his home. We have camera and I saw them coming in and I, I wanted to come down, but my, my family um, told me not to. And so we, we watch everything on video that they come in. Enyan added, The bad thing is, you know, we were supposed to be reopened this coming up Monday. And we already have appointment book up the whole, the first week because people were not able to do any nail for two months. So, but now we have to call them back to cancel everything. Joe from Minneapolis was surveying the damage on Thursday morning. When asked to describe what he was seeing, he responded, There's no words. Um, it's just, you know, I'm, I'm appalled. I'm shaken. I'm shocked. You know, I've seen... I've seen worse, you know, I spent 24 years in the Marine Corps, and I've, I've seen worse, but this is, this is Minneapolis, this is, uh, this is America, and um, just to see this right here on our streets is, streets is really troubling. Minnesota Attorney General Keith Ellison had this message for people who had been causing the destruction in South Minneapolis. You cannot decry violence against George Floyd and then go do violence yourself against somebody who did nothing to you. Uh, for no justification. I'd say stop it and prioritize the noble cause of justice for Mr. Floyd and systemic change to make sure that everybody can be treated with uh, equal justice. Thursday afternoon, the Reverend Jesse Jackson visited a South Minneapolis church to rally local youth and spiritual leaders. When I asked him about what he was seeing in Minnesota, Jackson said, The whole world saw a public lynching, a man murdered. There's nothing subtle about what they did. And the three police who saw it are as guilty as the man who was knee on the neck. And they filed a false report. It, it, it jeopardized everything about what Minnesota stands for. Jackson urged people to protest with discipline because, quote, there's a killer code for the police and there's corona. At the same church meeting, longtime community activist Spike Moss spoke passionately about civil rights. We still don't have the rights as a people that the American bald eagle has. You can't hurt him, you can't kill him, you can't stop him from where he eats, where he sleeps, where he goes. He got more rights than you as a people. Back on Lake Street, out-of-state demonstrator Andrea from Detroit said she came to Minneapolis after Floyd's death because... And I believe that even if this happens outside of your community, you should show support for the community that's suffering so that the injustice doesn't travel. And Kadarius from Chicago felt compelled to come to Minneapolis in the wake of George Floyd's death. He says he was here. That's messed up what they did to George, you know. So I just came out to see the aftermath. While some say the destruction is pulling focus away from Floyd's death, Kadarius contended. We're doing this because, like, nothing's happening to the cops. It's just keeps happening over and over and over again. So we just fed up with it, so that's how we react. The U.S. Attorney, Hennepin County Attorney, and FBI and BCA officials late Thursday afternoon announced that they're making sure their investigations into Floyd's death are thorough, but they didn't announce imminent charges. Thursday night, the chaos continued and expanded into St. Paul and several surrounding suburbs. Governor Walls called in the National Guard. Mayor Fry declared a city emergency, and the 3rd Precinct building was breached and set ablaze by protesters. And that's where things stood at press time, with calls for justice for George Floyd growing louder, violence escalating, and a state struggling. Minnesota Matters returns after this.
Hi, Minnesota Governor Tim Walz here. I know the past few weeks have been incredibly difficult and disruptive. We're facing an unprecedented challenge in the COVID-19 virus. I want you to know that the state of Minnesota is putting every resource into this fight. We're being thoughtful and collaborative both inside and outside of government to keep Minnesotans safe. What I need from each of you is, is continue to do what you've been doing so well. Stay home when you can, especially when you're sick. Follow those rules, wash your hands, cover your cough, don't touch your face. They're not just things to repeat, they actually save lives. If you need more information, please go to the Minnesota Department of Health website and use the hashtag StayHomeMN. Minnesotans, we've been through challenging times before. This will press us, but we will get through it. We'll do it by the basic decency, about caring for our neighbors and following the rules that keep us all safe. We'll get through this together, Minnesota, and come out stronger on the other side. Thanks for your cooperation. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. How soon will we get our lives back? That has to be the question on most Minnesotans' minds as the state awaits the still-coming peak of the COVID-19 pandemic. MNN's Bill Werner looks for possible answers to that question in this week's installment. Scott, Governor Tim Walz has loosened restrictions on religious gatherings. It took effect earlier in the week. Outdoor service at bars and restaurants can resume Monday at reduced capacities and with safety precautions. Salons and barbershops also allowed to reopen with certain restrictions. The Walls administration has also laid out, with no specific timeline yet, two additional phases in which restrictions would be further relaxed. Those include indoor service at bars and restaurants, outdoor movies and concerts, swimming pools open, further in the future for reopening fitness centers and gyms. The governor has repeatedly said the last to reopen will probably be large entertainment venues like sports stadiums and concert halls. So how soon might this all happen? We talked to Hamlin University analyst David Schultz, about how health considerations could play out against the economy and politics. Do you have any feel for what kind of timeline we might be looking at, not only what COVID will allow us, but what the politics would would allow us or force us into? I think that's exactly the point that that we should make here, is I think there are three factors that are influencing the governor's decisions. Now, he, of course, is, is only talking about or only willing to mention the fact that it's a health issue, but at the same time, economics and also politics are all coming to play. And early on, when he made the initial decisions for shelter at home and for closing businesses, it looked like uh, public health issues were predominant, if not exclusive. But over time, the drag on the Minnesota economy, on people's personal pocketbooks, um, it's, it's been pressuring the governor. And also at the same time, there are lawsuits, there's division at the state legislature, there's the church, there's many political forces operative out there that are coming to converge. And I think what we're going to start to see now over the next few weeks is increasingly, I think, the political pressure and economic pressures starting to override the, the public health interests and concerns and perhaps accelerate even beyond what I think some of the health officials think is prudent for opening up the state. The peak is not here yet, at least state public health officials say. They are thinking, based on the computer modeling, sometime in June, maybe even the latter part of June, and maybe even into July. Although, you know, there's a lot of debate on when that might happen. If we get hit really hard, uh, does that modify this at all, or is the economic pain and the political pressure so great that, 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 that you know, we might even continue down this path of easing things? 
I think it would take a significant uptick in terms of the health issues, deaths and infections to reverse the course that we're on at this point. The, just the pressures seem to be building. And we know in the last few weeks, let's actually take us back a couple of months. A couple of months ago, Minnesota was among the best states in the country in terms of sheltering at home, in terms of sort of honoring essentially a quarantine. But we've gone from being one of the best to slipping very dramatically. And for the most part, I think partly what the governor was doing in easing the restrictions was recognizing reality. The reality is is that the discipline was breaking down, and it would be very, very difficult um, for the governor to use his metaphor to dial it, to redial it again and to tighten the restrictions in the next several weeks. And so that's been the danger here is that we, he's, been, he's been opening up the state well before the, the peak is occurring leading to the possibility that it could just accelerate that curve and make it worse and make it nearly impossible um, for him to, um, to be able to close it again, either economically or politically. And I say politically, too, because right now he's got enormous approval ratings um, um, and strong approval ratings for how he's handling the, 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 the coronavirus. Were he to um, tighten up the state again or were the health problems in the state to go up dramatically, I think we're going to see questioning of his handling of this of this matter. The next decision point here probably is right around the 12th of June. That is when the governor's uh, emergency authority expires. He needs to make a decision whether to extend it. If he decides to extend it, then he needs to get the approval of the legislature, or at least he, he needs to... The legislature has the option of canceling it, but both the House and the Senate need to do that. Um, so I would assume that the Republican-controlled Minnesota Senate would not go along with an extension. Uh, stop me if I'm wrong. What about the Democrats uh, who control the Minnesota House of Representatives? Would they go along if the governor said, hey, I want to uh, uh, extend this? In other words, would they not cancel it? I think they'll still go along with it, but there's another calculus in here at this okay, point, okay. And, the, and the calculus is the fact that the governor and the Democrats want a bonding bill, and the Republicans in the House especially have said they're unlikely to go along with, with an extension of the, the governor's orders, um, and with that, unlikely to provide the critical votes for the bonding bill. So somewhere out there, there's going to have to be a compromise, and I think even though the governor and the, may not want to admit it, um, um, he's got to deal with the reality that if he doesn't do something, doesn't change course potentially um, on the 12th, offer the Republican something, he's not going to get that bonding bill. And so I do think the Democrats will be likely to support him. We, again, we can see across the state and public opinion polls, Democratic areas strongly support the, the shelter at home or the safe at home, support the governor's approach. Republicans don't. But at some point, I think we're going to have to see something break and i think that's going to be coming in the next couple of weeks where i don't where perhaps the governor is doing negotiations now we'll be doing negotiations soon with the democrats and republicans to try to figure out where to go next let's say that he were let's let's do a hypothetical here let's say he decides around june 12th he's going to extend it for another 30 days can he do that and then still maybe get a bonding bill you know 30 days hence in in july july 12th or whatever that works out to be that becomes harder because I think the Republicans have dug themselves in, especially in the House, with Kurt Dowd making it very clear. He said, 
uh, no bonding bill if you extend the, the shelter at home or the, your, your executive orders any further. Um, it's going to be pretty hard um, to back away from that. Not impossible, but pretty hard. So we're going to have to see the governor again and, and the Republicans find, find some movement. Now, that potentially could, could happen as maybe reports of further erosion of the Minnesota economy will come in because between now and let's say June, end of June, July, we're going to get more reports regarding the unemployment rate and so forth. So it, it is possible. Um, but right now I think um, the sides are pretty entrenched in terms of their positions and I don't see a lot of movement really occurring right now. Hamlin University professor David Schultz. Scott? Thank you, Bill. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. For the first time in a long time, COVID-19 is not on the top of people's minds, and rightly so, with all that's going on surrounding the death of George Floyd. But it doesn't change the fact this deadly disease continues to grip the state. Tasha Radel has more. That's right, Scott. The spread of COVID-19 is showing no signs of slowing down. In fact, record number of cases and deaths have been reported in recent days. Joining me to talk about the landscape of the coronavirus across the state is the health department's Chris Ayersman. We're continuing to see new cases being reported from across the state. And certainly we have some locations in which we're seeing more cases than others. But really there's no part of the state that is COVID-free at this point. Um, So we're continuing to see new cases and as I said, they're happening, they're happening everywhere across the state. So this is not a metro issue or a greater Minnesota issue. This is happening everywhere. Chris, while most of the COVID cases have occurred in the Twin Cities metro, does this mean the upcoming peak in greater Minnesota will be delayed? The general thought is that we will you know, see our peak toward the end of June, plus or minus a few weeks. And I would say that You know, yes, there could be a slight delay in greater Minnesota, but some of our counties with some of the the highest incidence of cases are also in greater Minnesota. So I don't want to, I don't want to say that as a blanket because there are some counties in greater Minnesota that have incidence rates that certainly rival or even exceed some locations in the Twin Cities. Chris, when it comes to ICU beds, are we holding our own? Well, you know, we have uh, the State Healthcare Coordination Center and the regional healthcare preparedness teams have been working on this for months. And so they meet daily and they are tracking both hospital bed and ventilator capacity, and that is across the state, and they're looking at capacity by region so that um, it's not just to say we have, you know, 100 beds in Minnesota, but it's to say this region, this is what they have, what their capacity is and what's currently being used. And so they're tracking that daily, and they, they have made plans for alternative care sites should they be needed, but at this point, You know, we have not exceeded our capacity, and I think it's important to remind people that we have seen, I guess, peak use of of hospital bed capacity during influenza season. So some of these systems um, of tracking bed availability, of, 
you know, making plans if you did need to divert, say, a patient to a different hospital location. Those are those are things that have been tested by the system during severe flu seasons. Thanks again to my guest, Chris Ayersman with the State Department of Health. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Minnesota Governor Tim Walz here. I know the past few weeks have been incredibly difficult and disruptive. We're facing an unprecedented challenge in the COVID-19 virus. I want you to know that the state of Minnesota is putting every resource into this fight. We're being thoughtful and collaborative both inside and outside of government to keep Minnesotans safe. What I need from each of you is, is continue to do what you've been doing so well. Stay home when you can, especially when you're sick. Follow those rules. Wash your hands. Cover your cough don't touch your face. They're not just things to repeat, they actually save lives. If you need more information, please go to the Minnesota Department of Health website and use the hashtag StayHomeMN. Minnesotans, we've been through challenging times before. This will press us, but we will get through it. We'll do it by the basic decency, about caring for our neighbors and following the rules that keep us all safe. We'll get through this together, Minnesota, and come out stronger on the other side. Thanks for your cooperation. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Minnesota youth sports leaders are working with state leaders in crafting the safety play plan with hopes that games can start soon with safety in mind. Youth baseball and softball practices can begin on June 1st, and the hope is games can begin June 15th. Traveling baseball is big in Minnesota, and two of the most important youth baseball organizations in the country reside in the Twin Cities. The Metro Baseball League and Minnesota Youth Athletic Sports are competitors, but have come together in forming a plan to push for league play to get underway. Those two organizations are working with the governor's task force to put protocols in place. MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm goes in-depth on this issue. We are joined now with Kim Ewell of Metro Baseball League. He's the administrator there. And Dawson Blank, he's from the Minnesota Youth Athletic Services, uh, both based here in the Twin Cities, both two of the largest baseball youth organizations that are private in the entire country. First of all, hello to you, Kim. Thank you for joining us. Hi, Mike. Thank you for having us. And Dawson, thank you for joining us as well. Thank you very much, Mike. Kim, I'm going to start with you. You've been around the block with MBL and MBT for a number of years, uh, and I'm sure over the years you've had to put out a few brush fires, whether it be uh, you know, uh, games, rainouts, uh, umpires, coaches, parents, all kinds of different things. I bet you've never run across what you have uh, had to deal with here this uh, late winter into the early spring and just trying to get baseball going for these young people. No, we've never had to deal with anything like this, and... Uh... One thing that has happened is uh, Metro Baseball League and MYS, we were never the closest uh, of friends or competitors at all. And this has really brought us together. And uh, I think everybody realizes that we can get, get along together. And Dawson, what is the latest? Can you give us an update? I know you and and MBL and a bunch of other softball uh, leagues around the metro and around the state are are talking with the governor. Obviously, there are safety concerns, and you guys are aware of those, but there's also uh, the want and, and in some cases, maybe even the need for some people to get out onto the baseball field, and I think you guys have uh, have termed it play safe. Uh, Take us through what the latest of this situation is right now. So the latest is uh, we are kind of on the, the forefront of creating safe play back to the diamond. Um, and through those efforts, we were able to uh, 
Commissioner Tomes had contacted uh, Todd Johnson of the Minnesota Amateur Sports Commission, and they were kind of tasked with putting together this collaborative uh, statewide youth sports organizations to come together to create this return to play scorecard at the time. And through those efforts, it became these universal guidelines that um, they had uh, put out last week, late last week for all sports to kind of fall in line and based on the sports and, and being indoors or outdoors, they created the pods that the Department of Health felt it was okay to move forward with. And we have been deemed that as of June 1st, we can, we can begin practicing within our world of, of youth baseball and softball. Um, but the next big step is moving into the potential for competition and league play. And our goal for Metro Baseball League, Gopher State Baseball League, and our partners with Minnesota Softball is to still have that option available starting June 15th. So this week is a big week for us. We're hopeful that through the work with the task force that we can make that a, a realistic possibility. And what is the hope then in terms of the timeline? You mentioned, uh, Dawson, that this is a big week. Um, what is big about it? Who will you guys all be talking with? And, and then the, what's the hope uh, by the end of this week or early next week in terms of the call to action? So the task force that's been put together, which is the Minnesota Amateur Sports Commission, um, Commissioner Tomes is overseeing it. Uh, Tarek is a big sports guy. He's the director of information and technology for the state of Minnesota, but he has been put in charge of this um, uh, return to play uh, for all of you sports. And they're this week breaking up uh, sports based on outdoor uh, low risk, uh, moderate risk, um, things like that, that, that we can then within baseball, softball, have a separate conversation to um, show them that through our guidelines that we have produced, that we worked with the uh, state epidemiologist and, and to provide uh, the safest possible way to get them to return to play. Um, we know that, for example, the max number of people on the field, uh, including coaches and an umpire, would be 16 individuals, which um, for the square footage, that is um, a lot bigger space than what has been deemed acceptable within the bar and restaurant for outdoor space with that. And so we're just hopeful that we can have separate um, breakout meetings to be able to, to let them know that what we've put together with their guidance is going to be something that's going to be a safe option for people to play baseball and softball. Kim, let me ask you about this. Will will you have players wear masks? Will that be optional? Will that be required? What, what's the latest that way? You know, it's not going to be required, but it's going to be recommended. Uh, and every individual is going to be different. We know that. Um, there are going to be kids that want masks worn all the time. Um, but we also realize that there's kids that might have some breathing difficulties that can't wear the mask. That's MN Sports Director Mike Grimm with MBL Administrator Kim Yule and MYAS Executive Director Dawson Blank. Some other protocols that would be put in place include the elimination of the traditional post-game handshake line. Instead, players would tip their hats to their opponents from in front of the bench area. There would be one umpire working per game, and that official would stand behind the pitcher's mound. To hear an even more expansive interview on this topic, you can go to minnesotanewsnetwork.com. 
That's going to do it for us for this week. Thank you for listening. Please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.